Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website or Bite Into It's Facebook or Twitter accounts. We welcome you to Bite Into It, where we talk technology, computing, games, to internets, uh, all of the good stuff. Uh, excited to be with you on a Wednesday night. Uh, possibly also excited, is Maze Wallen. Hello, happy Wednesday. Um, <laughs> on a Leichhardt scale of one to five, rate your excitement. Oh, mate, I'm just happy to be here with, with you all and with the Triple R community that's been so amazing over the last couple of weeks. I, I think that's a solid four. We'll, we'll <laughs> <laughs> send you a, a follow-up survey by email. Oh, great. I look forward to it. What's <laughs> uh, Rowena Murray? How are you, Ro? I'm very well, thank you, Warren. How are you travelling? Uh, doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Glad to be out of my chair and six feet away on the bed. Um, so completely <laughs> different outlook on, on my world. Uh, but, uh, I like it better over here. It's good. Uh, whole, whole new perspective from the other side of the room, as I'm sure plenty of listeners tuning in from home that have spent all their time burning holes in the floorboards up and down the hallway of their of their house can, you know, relate to. I think, um, I think like, moving moving the trash around in the second room um, makes it look much better. It's just been piled up on the bed, but when you spread it out, it looks like you're a curator of, uh, of some kind. <laughs> a new artistic or- pursuit for you. Yeah, trash spread up. Um, <laughs> we won't be doing any of that tonight. It will just be just be the good stuff, hopefully. We are going to have a, a conversation about um, a, a great little uh, carbon tracking app that's being used uh, in schools and by kids uh, around the country. Um, I won't sort of give away too much, but um, it looks heaps of fun and, and uh, heaps relevant right now as well. The CEO and founder of Climate Clever, uh, Vanessa Rowland, will be joining us um, in just a few minutes. So hang around for that one. Um, we're also going to have a look at the uh, brouhaha between Facebook, Google, Josh Frydenberg and others. Um, uh, the eyes of the world are on Australia to see if uh, anyone can um, squeeze a coin out of um, the, the tech giants. And uh, I don't know, uh, usually I'd be against uh, Mr. F kind of winning, but um, I don't know. I'm going to pull my punches on this one and I, I potentially see an upside to um, a bit of taxation going on here and investing in our local media. So we'll see how that goes, but um, better heads than I have got some opinions on that. And uh, we'll be hearing uh, a little bit later in the show uh, from one of our friends at uh, Monash University, uh, Associate Professor Johan Lindberg um, from the uh, Media Film and Journalism School will be joining us a little bit later in the show. But um, before that, we do have to uh, share some stuff with you. Um, we'd like to um, guest bag a little bit about news and tidbits and things that are going on. Um, yeah. So other, yeah, some other internet around. news. <laughs> um, as I'm sure we can all relate during lockdown of um, internet outages, um, uh, one of the watchdogs for all of the ISPs, uh, the Telco watchdog, has released a whole lot of findings showing that um, some of the major internet service providers have breached rules around leaving people without internet for too long during their NBN migration. Um, It focuses on a period uh, February, April of last year, Um, but then all of these breaches are continuing. So these 
over 8,000 breaches of the service continuity rule, um, including failure to keep even records of the issues. So I think that's something that we can all relate to of calling your ISP and feeling very useless. Um, We're not even a statistic at this point. Um, Yeah, so hopefully this is um, something that improves a whole lot. Um, They have talked about, you know, having other solutions like dongles or other... um, other ways of keeping people online but really it's just not not good enough um and right now I suppose I feel like this is an easy one to crack we should have a minimum standard like there should be a a pulse or a um, just a little flag that goes up or down um and ISP shouldn't be able to weasel out of this by kind of you know um baffling us with gobbledygook and call centers and and whatnot um it's either it's either on and it's rocking or it's or it's off and this whole kind of I don't know. How, how, how would we solve this? We, you have post-it notes in 30 seconds. What do you think? Ooh. <laughs> what about like those Google um, balloon internets? Can we just have like free, maybe if the internet was free, I would, would maybe complain a little bit less. Uh, <laughs> we, can, we can cope with outages if we're not paying for it in the first place. <laughs> well, they're maybe. lovely. They've given us a service. It's great. Um, but if you're gaming, though, there's there's more problems. I understand, Maze. Yes, so I could I could blame gamers actually for slow internet. Um, on August 24, so uh, just the other week, um, the Call of Duty update uh, Warzone 5 came out at the same time as Fortnite's um, seasonal event, which um, <laughs> major ISPs are also saying. Um, so local ISPs, Aussie Broadband Managing Director Phil Britt um, said, yes, we saw a large number of our CVCs flatline, capacity maxed, speeds start to slow as a result. So if on that evening um, <laughs> you remember feeling that your NBN went a little flat, uh, maybe blame blame the gamers. Um and this also seems to be happening, like Call of Duty is having these weekly updates now and during during this lockdown and during these like 100 gigabyte updates, um, you know, for a lot of people that's, that's still many hours of downloading. Um, yeah. And it's a lot of people now I think is the main thing. Speaking of feeling pain, you, you've got a, a novel one there, Ro, uh, around pain and, yeah. Absolutely. Anyone who's listening who's ever had a skin graft or known anyone who's had a skin graft knows that the process is not fun. But the great news is is that Australian scientists have actually created an electronic skin, which could be a nice replacement. So researchers from Melbourne's good old RMIT Uni, led by Professor Madhu Bhaskaran, have developed a prototype that mimics real human skin in the hope it could actually be a really cool, viable alternative to skin grafts and prosthetics. So how it works is the skin has three main components. Um, It's got a stretchable skin-like material so that it's wearable and comfortable. It's got a temperature reactive coating to detect hot and cold. And finally, brain mimicking cells that retain memories and they can also retain pain, So, which of course warns you about danger. So together, those three elements work together to tell the brain whether someone is softly touching that skin or poking it with a pen. So 
with a bit of luck, that would be a really fantastic way to help people recover from various injuries and surgeries um, with much less recovery time and a lot less pain. Have you had a skin graft row? Is that something you know? No, no, but my mum had a number of them and um, even the scarring from it is horrific. And, um, you know, she did say that the the pain from the skin grafts was far worse than the actual surgical site that they were repairing. And um, just seeing the recovery, the risk of infection is massive. Um, She got cellulitis a number of times and was hospitalised with it. It is just not a good thing. If you can avoid a skin graft, avoid it. It's not good stuff. I've uh, parked my skateboard. It's uh, it's deep at the bottom of the trash. Don't worry. Uh, (laughs) What a shame. (laughs) I did see a guy at the bottle who would have been in his 50s last night with a skateboard. I was full of respect. That was great. I love that. Live life. (laughs) Well, exactly. Well, speaking of living life, we've got some new technologies joining the fold. Boom, Tish. So today, um, the Samsung uh, Samsung has announced the Galaxy Z Fold Two is coming to Australia this month with pre-orders opening next Wednesday. So the Fold One, for those of you in the know, had some pretty well documented screen issues. Probably a little bit understandable considering, you know, it's it's a phone that can essentially fold in half. It's a big deal. But the Fold 2 sneak peeks are looking more promising. It's going to retail at a pretty meaty $2,999 RRP in Australia. But for those cashed up early adopters, it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm pretty hyped by this phone. Like I absolutely can't afford it and I have a problem with spending more than $300 on a phone anyway. So you don't see me with any fancy phones. But um, I just think that, it, like, yeah, it's cool and and more screen and it folds. And I don't know, I guess it's leaving me a little bit speechless, but I really, I just um, think that that's very cool and something that teenage me who is really obsessed with, um, like, the pi- pocket pilot devices and things like that, um, yeah, I just find it very, very cute and very cool. And um, well, yeah, yeah for the Did you folks play Game and Watch like um, Parachute and Donkey Kong and stuff like that. Yes, I had yeah, a little Donkey exactly. Kong. Yep. <laughs> yeah, all of these double screen devices, like some also some gamer laptops, are now filling like maybe like up to a third or like two fifths. Um, of the bottom panel of the laptop, so the keyboard, with another screen as well. And then some games are, like, optimised for that or have um, mods and things that show more information down there as well. Sort of like a, like a DS screen or... Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Excellent. Well, we're going to step out of the future straight back into the past. Those of you who are on <laughs> the tweeter um, will have seen that the other day uh, Macaulay Culkin, who we all know from Home Alone, tweeted, hey, guys, want to feel old? I'm 40. You're welcome. Um, He naturally immediately succeeded in making us all feel older than dinosaur bones. And just to compound that feeling today is the 20th birthday of the iconic Nokia 3310. Um, The brick sold 126 million units, which is 20 times more than the iPhone when it launched. Um, Had classic games like Snake, as well as the addition of Space Impact, the ability to change your ringtones and the old uh, multicolour replaceable cases. I had lime green. It was disgusting. We're all very cutting edge <laughs> at the time. So happy birthday, 3310. Wow. That is amazing. That is amazing. 
And we were talking earlier old. about like, you know, when when the monophonic ringtone morphed into the polyphonic ringtone and what a game changer Fancy. that was. And then MP3s. But for people wondering. Very exciting time. Because I know you know the sounds. What is polyphonic? How do you, how do you define polyphonic? Oh, more than one instrument playing at once. Oh. So I can't obviously do it with my voice, but if we both sang together right now on You're radio, cool. that would be polyphonic. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but ew. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you could have like more than one instrument happening. Um, it was very cool. Very cool. Little harmonies. Um, a lot more pop songs were uh put into people's phones um some phones even had little sequences on them I remember my Motorola one did um so you could see like little tracks going past and putting putting your little beeps and boops thought that was very cute love it that kind of stuff would be quite popular on um one of one of Google's new ventures they're actually launching a thing called Google Kids Space and this kind of caught my eye because I think there are not just in Melbourne, but probably all around the world, uh, a fair bit of uh, homeschooling going on and a fair bit of uh, adult kid time that we didn't um, bargain for in 2020. Um, and one of the interesting things is um, streaming services and a lot of tech have had kind of kid-safe settings and um, sort of kid um, a kid view into the technology for a long time, but not necessarily a lot of devices. Um, I guess probably the the most common way to lock or kind of prevent something going on is the snatch, the old parent snatch. But <laughs> technology can, can can give us better answers than that. So, Google Kids Space is a, basically a kids mode. Um, it's going to be a feature for um, Android devices and uh, initially on some of the uh, Lenovo tablets, um, which are, I think are a little bit cheaper. I haven't had much to do with them, but. Um, it is good. Um, they actually started it um, with a, a thing called Family Link, which was a, a series of parental control features that's now part of the uh, operating system, uh, Android, um, and allows you to set things such as uh, screen time limits, um, content safety filters, privacy controls, and, and so forth. Um, I mean, some of them, some of them, kids can can get around because they're much better with tech than we are. But um, yeah, I, I think it's good. It, it, when I see stuff like this, I'm kind of surprised it hadn't happened earlier. But um, I, I guess, you know, witness the Zoom thing that we're in. Sometimes the best ideas don't always get up right away or indeed ever. So um, Google are having a go at, uh, at this one, which is good. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. Thanks so much for being here. It means a lot. Hey, um, there is a climate emergency out there. Um, we are all uh, doing our um, best and darndest to um, come to terms with that, do things about it, um, make changes in our lives. Um, and there's a bunch of clever people out there doing uh, stuff to help us with that. Um, one such person is Vanessa Rowland, who's the CEO and founder of Climate Clever, uh, which is a suite of apps that are uh, helping us measure carbon, um, uh, understand our usage and uh, make better decisions. And Vanessa joins us on the phone now. Thanks for making time to come hang out with us. Thank you, Warren. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, what 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 made you what made you think we can do something better here and, and we can put it in our phones and, and in our pockets? What's the what's the start of this tale? Well, the the idea for this actually started way back in 2012 when I helped to certify the first carbon neutral school in Australia. And um, I got really inspired by what they achieved. They they managed to um, obviously dramatically reduce their carbon footprint, but they also saved hundreds of thousands of dollars on utility bills 
educated the kids and about climate change and resource efficiency, as well as engaging the community. And one of the things we noticed at the time was that they didn't have much comparison data, so they couldn't really compare or they didn't know how they were performing. And it was really at that point that made us go, you know, this, this would be really cool if we had sort of a, a platform that could um, enable this more schools to achieve this and to, um, to know what the process is for calculating a carbon footprint and for, you know, identifying what actions you can put in place to reduce it. Amazing. I often look at, um, you know, the end of my bill to see where where I am on, you know, the average two-person apartment household. Um, and then, you know, some of the online forms are very uh, not that easy to, like, calculate and navigate. Um, so, yeah, what, what is what is some of the, the apps in this in this suite um, that we're talking about? So, so we started off with um, with schools. We we uh, we did. Wrote, I ended up doing some pilots and some re research. Uh, I've been an academic at a university for the last ten years, so it sort of started out through there. We did a um, a low a low tech version of the pilot for with, uh, fifteen schools over two years, and that really tested out some of the um, ideas for the app. And then we ended up launching the first version of the app in twenty eighteen, and that was our climate clever schools. Uh, app. And then last year, in 2019, we actually got some funding to start developing a home version of it. And we're really excited about having a home version because it meant that we could really start to empower the students who are learning about this in the schools to go home and actually realise that they could help their families to reduce their the home carbon footprint and save money at, at home as well. Um, and you're 100% right. Some of these um, utility bills or even utility companies, they, you know, they're obviously run by engineers and some of the graphs and the things that they show can be quite complicated. Um, so that's sort of what we were really trying to aim to provide, really simple to understand and easy um, to use, uh, you know, an app and, and the graphs and everything that we display is, is um, to really show that, you know, you are making an impact and making a difference. Um, and just a third suite, um, of, a third app in our suite is going to be a business version that we're going to launch later this year. So then we'll have schools, homes and businesses, um, which is really helping to cover sort of the community's um, emissions. Wow, businesses will be really interesting now that, you know, people have stopped flying around and everyone is at home and stuff now. I wonder, do you have any thoughts on that already? Yeah, absolutely. Look, we, we actually tried to fast track our home version. We launched it in March just as COVID really started to hit. And for exactly that reason that all of a sudden everyone's stuck at home, the home utility bills are rising because everyone's consuming much more when they weren't before. Um, so we, we're certainly seeing a lot of household utility bills and consumption going up. And it's a perfect time to really start to think, how can we be more efficient in our homes? Um, and and I, again, just with COVID, it's obviously, I feel very sorry for you guys over in, in Melbourne. I'm, I'm over in Perth, so we, we don't have quite the restrictions that are in place as a, over there. Um, but, it, you know, people are starting to learn new behaviours, so it's a great time to kind of think, how can we do some you know, more sustainable or efficient behaviours at home as well? I'm interested to know, is there a, a, a comparison or a number or something that just people turn on to? Because um, I think sometimes, even if even if utilities providers could make it simpler for us, I feel maybe specifically for adults, it's very hard to, to get people to shift behaviour and sometimes data and information, I, I think it's good, but sometimes it, even that can be hard to tell a story. What, what, what's your point of view on um, getting people to think differently about um, carbon and, and the climate? Um, well, I mean, the, the great thing about our app is it, it does provide you with the, the difference between you can look at the graph and look, let's look at my consumption, and then you can straight away switch to costs, um, and then you can switch to your carbon emissions as well. And sometimes the utility providers aren't as 
uh, forthcoming with um, some of those because some some people might look at their um, costs and they might go, oh, our costs have gone up this year, but we've you know we've done some we've retrofitted our lights and we've done um, some you know changes um, and it's still going up. But then if you quickly switch to consumption, you might see actually our consumption's gone down and that's just re reflecting the fact that you know electricity prices are rising. Um, and then similarly, looking at the carbon uh, emissions, that can also change even regardless of how much effort you're putting in because that depends on how much renewable energy is being fed into the grid in your particular state or territory. Um, so, you know, information is power, so understanding all of that is, is really helpful. But I think the other really big key part is, um, is having the understanding of that when you do your actions that you are making a difference because I think sometimes we do, you know, put effort in but don't actually necessarily see the reward. So being able to overlay that in, in you know, one app to sort of say, you know, this is how I'm tracking and that action has made a difference and I can see it's going down is really, you know, powerful. How do you show that in the app for, for people who haven't uh, used it yet? Um, that's really interesting, yeah. So, yeah, so do you say how do we show it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how do you show Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so well, the, the app's actually based around three sort of steps. Um, we, we say measure, audit, and action. So the measure part in the you know in the field of sort of uh, climate change and carbon accounting, we say you can't manage what you don't measure. So you first have to put in your utility bills. So we look at electricity, gas, water, and waste for now, but we're adding transport as well, so flights and commute. Luckily, a lot of flights have all gone down at the moment. Um, but yeah, so the measure part is where we, we get you to enter last year's bills first. So you've got your baseline emissions, and then you start entering this year, and you can so you can start to see the difference and how you compare to your baseline. Um, the audit part of the tool enables the user to um, go around the house or the school um, or your business and count all the different types of resource-consuming appliances, so whether they're you know, computers or air conditioning systems or taps, um, taps and toilets, so water fixtures as well. Um, and then you can start to compare those appliances to see uh, yeah, it's a similar household to you, and that's when some some houses might go, oh my gosh, we've got five, you know, five televisions compared to the average who only have one or two. Um, and fridges are, are a common one that there's a lot of pesky bar fridges hiding away in garages and stuff. So really, you know, that can help you to understand, you know, what's consuming resources. And then the action part is uh, where, you, where you go in and you can manage um, a whole different array of actions. And the app gives you, you select what you want to look at. So you might look at no cost actions first and then the app sifts through all the actions in the database and, and says here are all the, um, the no cost actions we've identified under electricity, here are the ones under gas, here are water waste uh, and then you can sift through and, and you actually have to manage them so it asks you who's going to be responsible for this action, when's it due uh, and then it goes into an action plan which then sort of helps to keep you accountable. The exciting thing about the platform though is that you can also add actions from scratch if there's not one in the list that that you want to do that's different from that, you can add that. And then um, once you finish an action, it asks you for a couple of questions about that action, how much did it cost, how easy was it to implement, were there any barriers you faced. And then we use machine learning and predictive analytics on the end, on the you know, back, end, back end. And then if that action is deemed successful, then it'll get added to that list. So that action list is actually growing based on all the actions that the community is putting in place. So it's a really exciting platform and, and it's you know designed to inspire that community, a collaborative feeling that is exciting i was i was just thinking wow it sounds similar to how emotive that app was on fight for planet a where it started turning red when everyone when that household turned on all their lights then i've just looked on the on the website is it that app that was on the show 
We, we were on that show, we, but we were the app that was um, working with the school. So I think the one you're oh, talking amazing. about might have been the PowerPal app, which is another exciting app, but that's, that's looking specifically at live energy use. So we, we go a bit um, beyond that. So we look at electricity, gas, water and waste, but we don't look at it as a live um, feed. Yeah. Very cool. And so you're comparing with households that are similar to you. Can you also like sort of share things with friends as well? compare um, that way? Uh, not at this point, but we are a startup and we're evolving at lightning pace. <laughs> and if that's, uh, if that's a feature that we find that the community wants, then we can certainly open it up. At the moment, it's, it's sort of de-identified data. So it will just, based on your profile, when you sign up, to, you know, we'll ask you, you know, are you in a standalone house or an apartment or a townhouse? Um, how many occupants do you have? So it sort of gathers all that data and it'll compare to similar types of households to yours. Um, but, yeah, if, if, um, if people want to say, I'm happy to be compared uh, and I want to look at this user and that user, then we can certainly uh, build that into in the future. I really feel like that comparison tool is uh, a really fantastic opportunity to get that beautiful emotive, emotional investment for families and households. But I was also wondering, um, are schools or hypothetically would businesses be able to compare with each other as well outside of that household arrangement? Well, it's, it's certainly exactly the same as I explained with the de-identified part at the moment. So yeah. schools can certainly compare to other um, unidentified schools. So they're always compa compared to the average, and that is very informative for them. Um, but you're right, we do get some feedback about this innate need to compare <laughs> with, you know, the school across the road or, or you know, <laughs> the next suburb. So um, I certainly think that will be something that we'll be um, opening up or creating in the future. Yeah, I'd love to, like, you know, work with other similar game studios like if everyone could get together you know because there's not that many in Australia surely we could get like a large amount of the industry to like all be comparing our setups I think that would be so cool there was a study recently done yeah by someone asking asking game studios in particular about our carbon footprint so it was quite um yeah interesting to to see some of that Absolutely, and I think the exciting thing is you can start to aggregate that as well, um, you know, and so you could say the gaming industry versus the architecture industry, or, you know, in different types. And I think, yes. yeah, it's probably very anti-intensive, um, but it's the, you know, it's this is sort of the point we're at in terms of climate change is we actually start, we need this data now, we need, a, we need it to be able to meet our targets, and um, we partner with councils, um, and they, when we partner with a council, that subsidises the, the apps for the community um, and so what we do is then we, we aggregate all the data up from the schools, homes, businesses and again de-identify it and we provide that back to the council so they can use that to meet their own climate change targets and KPIs. I'm sure it definitely in, in, in Melbourne there's, you know, there's a lot of councils that are declaring a climate emergency and so this is a really nice next step to say you know, what are you doing about it, how are you helping and empowering your community to reduce and how are they helping you to meet your targets. So, um, you know, I certainly also think that um, councils, you know, will probably start getting competitive as well and say, you know, how much have we reduced compared to that council? Yeah. Shout out to Darabin, who I think was the first council maybe in Australia to declare the climate emergency, but I may be wrong. But um, if people would like to um, give it a go, uh, either at their school or are at their house or what have you, where, where can people go to, to find out about the app? If, they, if you just Google Climate Clever, it's, uh, our website is climateclever.org. 
Uh, and, yeah, you can find all the information there um, for our school homes, businesses, um, yeah, and councils. And um, there's, uh, you can register your interest or you can sign up straight away. And I should mention as well, we are just about to release the mobile version of it at the moment. So at the moment it's a, it's a web app uh, with a home mobile app coming within the next month. Amazing. That's Vanessa Rowland, CEO and founder of Climate Clever. Um, get tracking your carbon. Uh, architects, um, you've been thrown down to by gamers. We'll follow up on that. <laughs> this is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up rrr.org.au to find out how. Um, you may have noticed that there is a bit of a stink uh, on the internet uh, involving some of the, the big tech players and uh, our uh, federal government. Um, there is uh, a bone of contention around uh, news in particular and how news sharing um, uh, creates revenue and how revenue from sharing news is distributed. Um, Federal government is uh, deciding to, uh, I guess, play a hand in this and the ACCC, we've been reporting on that for a, a little while now. Uh, we're now joined uh, by phone um, by uh, Associate Professor Johan Lindberg, uh, lecturer uh, at Monash University School of Media, Film and Journalism, to talk us through the stoush. Um, Johan, thanks for um, taking time out of your night tonight. That's all right. My pleasure. Um what, what, what is going on? If you had to sort of uh, explain this to somebody who landed from another planet at a barbecue, what, what, is, the, uh, what is the situation? <laughs> yeah, that would be nice to have a barbecue, actually. Um, <laughs> th so this has been brewing for quite some time. Um, it's been brewing ever since uh, Facebook, Google, and the other big behemoth global uh, platforms um, started eating into the ad revenue that we usually or that we traditionally saw go into the... Um, commercial journalism business model that's been undermined with the, all the ads essentially moving onto the platforms. And the platforms use those short snippets of news that are both shared but also, you know, hoovered up by the algorithms and then put on the platform, which generates traffic to the platforms, and then they, you know, benefit from getting the ad revenue. Now, the platforms are claiming that they are, you know, directing traffic and clicks back to the media companies too. But it's really, it's really, you know, pittance compared to what they earn from uh, having those snippets on their platform. So that's essentially, in a nutshell, and they're not paying anything for for, for that um, for the um, production of that content. And that's the issue here. Interesting. It's been it's been slowly unfolding for. Um, uh, a maybe six months or so um, off the top of my head. Um, has anything shifted in, in the past couple of weeks or is it just the kind of um, the sort of corners have been drawn and, and people sort of coming out for the first first kind of swipes at each other? No, there, there's, been, there's been major shifts. I mean, as I said, this goes back a number of years too. We've, we've seen attempts in the European Union, specifically France and Spain, trying to do similar things. But um, instead of using the... Um, competition legal framework that the ACCC's and the Australian government is using, uh, they tried partly using copyright laws in Europe and that's a much weaker framework. So that's, it's been happening for a number of years and in that case the platforms just said, oh, that's fine, then we'll just withdraw and, and that made um, the EU cave in those countries. Here, Australia and the ACCC has been much more assertive, saying that 
you need to come to the table and you know bargain in good faith over how you're going to contribute to how that content is produced and so and it's now come to it's now come to a head because the consultation um, period has ended and it, uh, the laws will now be put before parliament most likely pass and then uh, the platforms and the media players have to sit down and try to hammer out a deal or a bargain, and if they don't hammer that out, then there is an, uh, a mandatory arbitration clause that will come in, and an arbiter will come in and you know do it for them. So have push is sort of coming to shove, although uh, uh, that part is a few months away. But the sort of point that I make is that it's time for the platforms to grow up. You know, to really mature out and take corporate responsibility, you know, be a good corporate citizen, actually contribute to society rather than uh, just profit, um, just profiting what just like they've done up until now. It is time for them to really mature and grow up. That's so refreshing to hear, you know, the, the last time we spoke on this show about Google was uh, very dismissive, you know, they don't pay any tax, why should we give a shit about them? Um, but do you, what do you think about Facebook's threat to stop people from sharing news? Like, is, is that where they're going to start their bargaining from? It's just two words. It's just, it's bullying and it's really dumb. From a from a strategic point of view, it, I, I couldn't believe when they did it. <laughs> it's just absolutely mm. ludicrous. <laughs> Imagine what the Facebook feed would be like if there was no proper news content in there. If it was only populated by mis and disinformation and conspiracy theories, it would be it would be the the worst cesspool of information that we have on the planet. So I think they are jockeying for position here. You know with leading up to the negotiations and I frankly can't see them doing it and it's it's just really dumb you know we have the eyes of the world on us at the moment and I would have thought that if they employ this tactic here it will embolden other countries and other regulators and and parliaments to go right you know it's really on now so we're really going to take them on I think that's what they've triggered here yeah and I, I saw the YouTube um campaign with the hashtag of our YouTube where it's, you know, it's something that is for the people and by the people compared to, I suppose, a government, which people were feeling is not by the people and for the people. Do you think that's that sort of mistrust of governments and and privatisation and capitalism, I suppose, um, being seen as, as a good, I don't know, alternative, do you think that's something that... Um, audiences or consumers are relating to? I know. I think Google was disingenuous with that campaign too because it's not about, you know, our content. It's about the platforms here using the content that others have paid for and produced and then they reuse it for free. That doesn't happen in, in no other, you know, company or corporation would assume that you can just use stuff that someone else has produced and paid for and use that for free. So I think the campaign was disingenuous, although it was much milder than, than you know, what Facebook came out with this week. But at the core, at the base of all this, this sits the fact that the platforms are refusing to own up to the fact that they are publishers too, you know. And, and that's what I mean about them not maturing and growing up. Now, they are publishers. Whichever way you twist and turn this, they are publishers. At the moment, they are 
They are skirting their legal and ethical responsibilities as publishers by claiming that they are platforms and that the publishers are the users. That, frankly, just isn't good enough. And hopefully, in my book, this is a first step on the way to engaging with the platforms to them, you know, as I said, maturing into taking responsibility for what they publish. So, so how would we levy the, the taxation here? How would we support um, uh, other types of media theoretically? Uh, we've heard that as, a, as an argument in favour of, of these kinds of actions. How, how might that yeah. work? So the details aren't, I mean, the details, I mean, if you read the code, there is some detail in there, but that's part of the negotiation here, how it will be uh, hammered up and measured. I've heard that... I've heard the the number 10% of you know Facebook's uh, Australian revenue going towards uh, contributing to media content. That's a lot of money, uh, even though you know they make a lot of money globally. So there's a lot of negotiation left to be done, and there's also unresolved stuff like regional journalism, which to me regional media is the, that's the engine room of our democracy. You know, covering mm. local um, local councils, covering local courts, and all that sort of stuff. We need to figure out a way for this money to to not only go to, you know, News Corp and Nine and so on. So that's still to be solved. Then we have the issue of ABC and SBS and community broadcasters who should also get a share of this. And there's been suggestions, for instance, by the Public Interest Journalism Initiative to when so to put up a public interest journalism fund that when uh, Facebook and Google use uh, SBS and ABC content they have to pay into this uh, fund that can then be tapped into by all these other um, smaller outlets. So there's a lot, lot of stuff to be to be detailed yet. Interesting. Um, how, how can how can people um, invest them in this kind of uh, influence the outcome if um, sort of regional and independent uh, news wanted to kind of declare their hands? Um, can can they influence this, or is it kind of out of the reach of these other players at the moment? No, it's been it's been suggested that um, smaller players and regional players could uh, bargain collectively. So it's almost like you would have an association slash a union for these ones, rather mm -hmm. than rather than each one of them, you know, sitting down with with the the, the behemoths. They would they would form an alliance and and bargain together, which would you know make complete sense. But can I say that you know individuals? An individual platform uses Facebook and so on. We have our own thing to consider here. So I've been half a millimetre from you know deleting my Facebook account ever since Cambridge um, Analytica in 2016. I haven't done it yet because it's really hard for me because part of my job is monitoring what's going on there. But I must say, and I, I had put it off until after the next US election to see how Facebook behaved. But I must say, if 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 they keep on doing this, I will delete my my Facebook account, especially now that I've figured out that I can keep my messenger for my, you know, campaign <laughs> stuff. But we have to, as users, really make decisions too and hit them where it hurts. Interesting. Um, I can't uh, wait. I'm, I'm a member of the same union that journalists are. I am ready, ready to start campaigning. Mm. It'd like to, it'd be interesting to see some of those Facebook dollars kind of um, kind of helping us taper off from the COVID dollars, um, a, you know, a little bit later. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'd like to see those. Um, I'd like to see journalists sort of turning up to regional mastheads, um, you know, in wonderful new cars and bicycles, uh, and flowers popping up out the front of regional 
papers and radio stations and so forth again thanks to um, these tech giants that would be great um, so if, if people are interested in it, if they want to kind of, um, you know, put the knee in the neck of some of these tech giants or, or the other side, um, how can people follow along? There's, there's a lot of fake news out there, Johan. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, it's, it's also apart from, you know, I bet, you know, Suck is shaking in his boots now now that we're saying that we're the least our accounts. I'm sure they're, they're listening. Also, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they are. But but there's also, you know, you can you can decide to become the media literacy champion. So you, you challenge stuff in your feed when you see things that are clearly wrong and things that are as hateful and, and divisive and stuff, you challenge it. And the way that you we've challenged it so far is that you link to something else. You say, Well that's plainly not true. Look at this report, you know, which which clearly debunks that. So if if news sharing would go, you couldn't do that anymore. And frankly, there is absolutely no way that I would stay on a platform where you couldn't share to proper information, you know. But, yeah, people need to need to stand up and take a stance against mis- and disinformation. It's, uh, I've frankly almost stopped um, reading news out of the U.S. at the moment because it's so incredibly bizarre what's going on there. Mm. And what Trump is saying, <laughs> and it's still being listened to, it's it's just absolutely amazing. And the fact that Facebook has not come up with a way to deal with the Trump campaign's incredible myths and disinformation is so it's so disappointing. It's almost you know enough to to uh, to, to sort of leave it right there. Mind you, I haven't really been on on the platform since 2016, so. Yeah, well, a lot of it feels so intertwined, right, of like, well, of course, Facebook is not doing anything about the Trump campaign. You know, News Corp runs our government anyway. You know, like, so it's it's almost easy enough to just be like, well, do away with it all. Who cares if it becomes successful, <laughs> you know, um, where these lines become even more blurred together between these corporations yeah. and governments. But, I mean, at the end of the day, Facebook is a it's a commercial entity and they want to make money. They've made that very clear, you know. So if people, I know it didn't really happen after 2016, but I think, I think it, what they, uh, that's why I said it's, I think it's a huge strategic mistake that they've done. If just by, just by leveraging the, the threat, I think would put a lot of people off, you know, but at the, at the very core of this too, is the fact that we've allowed four to five global corporations to become so incredibly big and powerful, you know, essentially a very concentrated um, uh, oligopoly. And it's, it's, it's good that we're waking up now, but it is very late in the piece, very late in the piece. We have a question here, uh, Johan, from uh, some listeners in Amsterdam. Shout out to Jenna yeah. and Wesley, who have posted a question. Is there is there a way that we can all participate in the gains these massive platforms achieve? Is it too crazy to say that Facebook pays back some ad revenue to the places where the most publishers are, et cetera? Could we um, tax them and then geographically distribute it based on concentration of publishers? What are your thoughts on that? Sorry, could we what? Just repeat the last part. Oh yeah, could we could we tax them on ad revenue and then distribute some of the ad revenue based on sort of geography? You know, uh, Northern Territory has five publishers; they get sort of yeah. a, a bonus to five. Yeah, well, that, that's that's quite possible. But as I said before, there is a lot to be to be detailed and hammered out yet here. But there, there are all sorts of ways that this could be done. You know. Um, but it requires goodwill. Uh, there's no question at all, of course, that the, 
that the media companies and sort of journalism outlets, they're very keen on, on sitting down. But it requires goodwill and coming to the table by the platforms. If they don't come to the table, then, you know, nothing will really happen. But I'm hoping if they don't, that's when people are really going to start leaving in, in high numbers. It's the only thing I think that will actually make them change. We've seen it very clearly that Zuckerberg in his various, you know, uh, testimonies before different parliamentary bodies around the globe, he doesn't really get it, you know. I mean, it's not that he's evil or anything, I think, but he comes from a tech background really clearly. He doesn't understand the social responsibility that something like Facebook carries. He, either he doesn't want to understand it or he doesn't genuinely understand it, but he just doesn't register, you know. And so what remains there, I think, in terms of influence is that it's going to have to hit the bottom line for the moment. Thank you very much, Johan Lindberg from uh, Monash University for um, uh, teasing out some of the issues there. Um, and uh, yeah, it is a, a big year. Um, who would have thought that uh, amongst all the chaos and, and craziness that um, we'd be getting some of our ducks in a row here in Australia, which is great. Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Triple R's website or Bite Into It's Twitter or Facebook accounts.